All right. Hello, everybody. This is Josh, also known as Yashu, and you're tuning into a live edition of TLOI Talks, episode 21. Today, we have a very special guest in the building today. He's Toronto-based R&B soul pop artist that's been compared to the likes of Usher and Jason Derulo. Derulo. He has a high following on all social media platforms. In 2015, he released his debut single, Alone, which was well-received, followed by a tour across the U.S. and Canada and has since performed uh, for the likes of BET and is constantly booked for shows throughout Hollywood, constantly invited to exclusive events, spotted walking around red carpet events with Hollywood elite actors and actresses, and artists as well, too. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Raleigh. Raleigh. What up, what up, what up? Thank you, man. That was a dope intro. (laughs) Yeah. Super dope. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, You know, it's a pleasure to have you on uh, today, you know, like for the live edition of the episode, too. It's kind of like, the first one we've done it like live in studio, so it's a very interesting experience so far, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy to be here, especially back in the six. Um, it always feels good to, you know, do things that I love, especially music and just connect with other entertainment outlets out here. So Yeah, yeah. No, no, most definitely, man. You know, I've been like checking out like the music lately. Like the EP was like very like amazing to like listen to it. And then like also like the singles like alone and then like your other uh, single, I think, even broken love with uh, Melanie, uh, Melanie Amaro. You know, it's like very interesting too in that sense. You know, so yeah, kind of like that from there. You know, so yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Shout out to Melanie Amaro. She just had okay. twins and all of that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I just want to get it started uh, right now. So, uh, where did you uh, grow up in Toronto, and what was like the environment like for you, like ba- uh, like as a kid back then? Like, what was it like? Well, um, I actually came to Canada when I was really young. I like most of Toronto is like you know immigration from the Caribbean, and I was I'm Guyanese born, and so um, grew up with my Guyanese family, my Jamaican family as well, and so uh, I grew up in Pickering. I, I started in Scarborough. We started in Scarborough, like Ellesmere, and like Markham Road, and then we moved to Pickering. Um, I went to school there, public school, high school, and actually. Throughout a uh, little bit throughout my high school career, I, I went to Brampton, went to school out there as well. And so Pickering is like most of my early years, my teen years. And then I did move downtown into the city and kind of spent the rest of the time there before I moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, no, most definitely, man. Yeah. Um, so was it big uh, back then, like for music at the time too? Like, because I know now it's like very popular with like Shawn Mendes, uh, Boy Wanda. You like he lived around the area from there too. And like there was like a lot of like well-known like Durham artists as well too with yeah. Keisha Fresh and... You know, also Daniel Caesar from Oshawa as well, too. So shout out to Keisha Fresh. A lot of people <laughs> don't know this. I used to manage Keisha Fresh. <laughs> so uh, definitely shout out to her. I'm really proud of just seeing her continue and, and do the things that she's doing now. And um, yeah, like, you know what? It's so crazy. I'm from the Durham region area and a lot of huge people have made it from that area from, you know, T-minus from back in the day. You mentioned Boy Wonder. Shout out to Matthew always been a really dope humble person um you know i actually when i was i used to i used to be an executive i used to intern with um labels um in high school and then when i came out of high school i got an internship with chris smith management who at the time had nelly furtado the legendary um andrina andrina mill who now is known as the black lotus um and Socrates and all these Canadian Canadian legends. And what's crazy is I feel like music for Canada is big now, especially with Drake and Tori and Justin and Melanie Fiona and everybody who's had that international success. But I feel like when I was growing up, I did look up to a lot of, you know, the more Canadian artists. We had Cardinal Official, we had Julie Black, 
Um, shout out to them. Funny enough, Sean Mendez, <laughs> Sean Desmond mm-hmm. is is huge. You know, and I I I did a video. I wasn't in one of his videos when I was younger. So, you know, I really respect those people because they inspired me. Um, I always wanted to be the artist, but I never necessarily had the confidence back then. So I went into a more business role and I still got to be around all those people and they inspired me. Um, you know, they kind of still a part of who and how I am artistically now. Yeah. So, no, yeah. No, most definitely. But even like b- before the whole like music aspect, uh, what was like your childhood like as a kid? And, you know, what were you like growing up? Well, my childhood, I got a, I got a crazy story. Um, my childhood wasn't always great. I definitely struggled with abuse at home. And so a lot of people didn't really know that. But, um, you know, I, my father brought me here and I, I you know, kind of integrated with this, you know, my, uh, the woman that he had married, which is my stepmom and her, her family. And they didn't treat me good. So it was all of that going on. And then, you know, school was difficult because I kind of acted out in school. And then growing up in Pickering, you know, Back in the day, I, I grew up in a time when Malvern and Galloway had a beef and, like, there was all this violence and gun violence. And so, you know, some of those guys were high school kids and they came to Pickering. So I grew up around a lot of that. There was a lot of fighting in school. I definitely got suspended a bunch of times. <laughs> and uh, it was rough, man. I really struggled to find who I was in high school. And, um, you know, I, it's not a happy time for me. I, it was... It, caused me a lot of trauma my childhood and so it took a long time for me to kind of deal with those things to even be where i'm at now you know most definitely you know like even throughout that time too were you trying to find like an avenue to kind of escape from those like realities that like even like with your music uh, in that sense too or did that sort of happen like at a later point in your life in that sense you know what um yeah you know you're really sending me back i haven't thought about this like specific moments in a while and so, you know, I had some kids in the neighborhood and there were rappers and I was kind of like one of the only people trying to sing. I did try to rap and I wasn't bad at it, but I just never, it just wasn't my passion. So I wasn't practicing the way other people were. And so, yeah, I had some friends in the neighborhood and we used to like record. They used to make beats. I started making beats. I actually made some back in the day were really cool, but then I just never continued with it. And it was an outlet for me. I definitely plunged myself into sports. I was a track, national track athlete. You know, I pretty much played on all the sports teams I could. And that was my outlet. That was my way of, like, not really, you know, dealing with whatever was going on at home. I felt free when I ran track. felt free when I worked on music or, you know, I would go out to parties. And back then, you used to have the house jams and the basement jams. And it was like, that was my outlet. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, like, those jams and, like, those events uh, back then, were they, like, back in, like, the early 2000s, uh, like, mid-2000s in that sense? Too, yeah, or? it was the early 2000s because, <laughs> um, like, it was definitely the early... Because I, I, I didn't graduate high school until, like, 2007. So from the, like, I guess 2003 onward, like, those were the years. Yeah, no, most yeah. definitely because, um you know, I spoke with, um like, a DJ, like, by the name of, like, Four Corners before, and, like, he told me, like, around that time, like the the baby bash like sound uh sound crew and all that yeah. like they, they were like popular like uh back then and like you had some music like sean desmond like nelly Furtado, uh tamia for a bit too cardinal socrates like that were that were also like playing in the parties yeah like along with like the old school hip-hop sean paul man <laughs> <laughs> like hey. yeah he had a big run then too yeah no nah, most definitely man um was there like 
an introduction that you had for music for the first time? Like, what was like that whole like first introduction like? Um, my introduction to music was instruments first. So I used to play um, the baritone, the trombone. I actually tried to play every instrument I could. I was just interested in like music. Period. Um, so that was in public school, and I ended up playing like the baritone, the trombone, and all that stuff. Uh, my music teacher was like, "You can't play every instrument." I'm like, "Why not?" So I just stuck to those things. When I went to high school, um, the girls used to stop me in the in the hallway, and at the time, Lauren Hill had this the, one of the hottest tracks. It was the um, "Strumming My Pain with His Pain," <laughs> killing me softly. And so the girls were like, "Can you sing this song? Can you sing that song? Can you sing Usher?" And they would stop me in the hall, and I would sing. And in grade nine, they we had a vocal. Uh, program at my school and so I was singing so much in the halls and those girls would tell the older kids would tell the vocal coach or the teacher at the time and she sought me out shout out to Miss Parker if you ever see this <laughs> and um, she sought me out and I wasn't actually allowed to be in that class because it didn't start till grade 10 and so they literally went to the principal's office and they did some magic and she was like I want this kid in my class and that was my, like, real introduction into, like, being a singer and, like, going for it and actually not hiding it and not being afraid. Like, I was afraid to, like, I was like, oh, I'm not a singer. I just told myself that in my head. But um, that's that was my first introduction. And then literally I did that throughout all of high yeah. school. Yeah, most definitely. Like, a set, like you know, especially, like, with the rapping and everything else, too. Like, you kind of had, like, a lot of, like, influences that kind of, like, came around you. But was, like, music something that was, like, initially an idea or goal that you had in mind uh, to take it seriously? Or was it more with the sports and all that? Um, so, truth be told, I did sports because I didn't think I was good enough for music. And I didn't think I was good enough for music because I had a very evil family member <laughs> tell me I was not good enough for music. And I believed them um, for a long time. And so I just did sports because I said, I can't live without one without the other. And if I can't make it in music, then I'm gonna do sports. So I literally committed my life to, to sports. But what made me want to do music was my dad. My dad was a singer and he would play all the oldies in the house and he would sing and he was a very good singer. Um, and because of that, I was very invested in music in the home as well. And then you know, back then, I'll be honest, like now he's not a very good name to mention, but R. Kelly at the time, you know, he put out the world's greatest. And I had a conscious moment where I was like, I want to be a singer. I want to do that. And that was kind of what started it all. Oh, no, most definitely. Yeah. And especially with like, you know, like the musical influences at home and like what you were listening to with like Lauren Hill and just like with the choir and with school and everything else too. Were there like specific like artists or genres you were like mainly influenced by or like listen to or and do you have like any artists that you would like to work with like someday like musically in that sense that you haven't worked with? Yeah, so I definitely I'm a very all around person like um, with music. And again, in my house, it was like Barrez Hammond. It was Celine Dion. It was. R. Kelly. It was Boys to Men, who was a huge. I feel like Boys to Men. 112, like uh, Luther Vandross, and especially Usher. Because I'll be honest, like Usher is like my biggest role model musically. I definitely look up to Chris Brown and all those guys. Um, but I remember I used to sit in my room and I would literally just listen to Usher over and over. And I would try to sing his songs just like him. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, I got to be like this. I got to sing like this. It just, it, it just 
it took me over. Like, the way he sang and his music was just really moving. So um, I definitely want to hopefully work with him one day. I definitely love Mariah Carey. I'm a Whitney Houston fan, too, but Mariah Carey is still alive. And if you've listened to the EP and you guys really know your music about Mariah Carey, I do say a line in there where I'm like, you know, uh, like Mariah, I'll carry you. Uh, I'm loving you crazy. You will always be my baby. Those are her songs. <laughs> Those are actually yeah, her song almost, titles. Yeah. Um, so that was like my little homage to her. Um, my number one I would want to work with right now, today, as we speak, is Rihanna. Like, before she leaves music again, hopefully I will get that opportunity. And then, of course, Chris, of course, Usher. I definitely want to work with Adele. Like, Adele and Sam Smith and Ed Sheeran. Those are like, that's where I am musically. No, most definitely, man. Yeah. No, it's kind of interesting, too, in that sense. Uh, before we get into, like, the other questions are right, uh, right there, I know that you mentioned that you've uh, managed, like, Keisha Fresh and, like, a variety of, like, other artists, too. So what was, like, managing, like, people like Keisha Fresh, like, or, like, even, like, interacting with people within, like, the Durham, like, region area, like, in that sense? Um, You know what? It was, it was, it was, we, we it was bittersweet. Like, we, there was a lot of good. There was some bad. Um, so when I first, my father was murdered when I was, uh, 21 and I just remember there was a lot going on at that time. Again, like I said, I had a very evil stepmom and she did a lot of crazy things and, um, I was out on my own. And so I ended up running away to Atlanta and while I was, before I left Atlanta, I ended up managing, uh, Keisha Fresh. Uh, star status who's also you know still doing her thing she was just out in LA and I was hooking her up with some stuff um at the time I had also discovered this kid by the name of Vital who now goes by Mesmari um Ethiopian um background and I had uh this guy named Jay Fresh I had like about six artists it was crazy mm -hmm. and so managing Keisha was cool she had done the Dougie uh song with Mims and Dougie Fresh and she had that song on flow back in the day i came into the situation um a little bit after that and you know keisha is a dope talent and she was in the game very young and there was just a lot of people in the way um you know there there was a lot of arguments and people holding that situation down and I remember a young girl that just wanted to do music. That's all she wanted to do. And so when I came into the situation, it, it was good for a while. It was got a little good. I kind of got over some of those hurdles for her and helped her out. And then, you know, things just kind of went a little south uh, with it. And I ended up having to walk away. And that was just what that was. So, um, yeah. But to answer your question a little more thoroughly about what music was like at the time... We didn't really have much representation, you know, in Durham. And, you know, music has always been in Canada, but we've, we, to this day, we still don't have a real industry here. Yeah. A lot of us, including myself, I've worked so long in the music scene in Canada. And, you know, it's crazy because I'm like the known unknown. Like, I've actually worked with and around a lot of super famous people. And I've done a lot of powerful things as an executive, even when I, you know, was first starting out. And nobody really knows that. Um, and so at the time, though, you know, there was just so much politics and everything. And we didn't really have an infrastructure for music or business or um, anything set up for artists to grow 
and we still don't in a certain sense, um, which is why, you know, <laughs> there's no reason that can Canada can't have artists make it from home. We consume a lot of music. You know, they say that Canadian art music doesn't, it does. When you turn on the radio, it's a lot of American artists playing, you know, and people are going to concerts, they're sold out. But there's just not a lot of infrastructure and push for Canadian artists. And then you go to places like America and I go and there's millions more competition. And I'm literally rising through the ranks faster than I ever have in the States. And and shout out to London, UK, because when you check my numbers and you look at my following, all a huge chunk of that comes from the UK. Africa is playing my music. You know, a lot of Europe is playing my music. And so that's proof to me that I'm damn good. And so at the time, there was nothing like that. And I tried to manage artists that I felt still have that world-class artistry at the time. And because there was really nothing going on, I was just trying to build this ecosystem. But I couldn't do it alone. And so, you know, eventually I transitioned to the artist because everybody yeah. was pushing me to do that. And here we are. Yeah, no, most definitely. It's like kind of like, you know, like a double-edged sword in that sense too, because you know that you're so passionate in helping others, like getting them into like the level that they need. But at the same time, too, you have to kind of focus on yourself and, like, it kind of gets to your own, like, bag in that sense, you know, so. Yeah, because, like, how this all, how I became, you know, kind of got, went back into the artist mode, because I told you before I never believed in myself. And it when I got to the States, so I have this song called Alone. It's my very first single I ever put out. It won this radio show. It was on a radio show in Atlanta. Um that won me a ticket to the LA to do BT pre-shows. So that's kind of like the start of how it happened for me. And I wrote that song initially for Trey Songs. And I wrote that song in Atlanta. Uh, I was trying, I was going to submit it to his Trigger album. But again, I was like, oh, this is not good enough. Yeah. It's not going to get out. I ended up getting on tour with Mindless Behavior at the time. That's how I met Melanie. Melanie was on tour with them. B5 was on tour with them. After that tour had happened, Crazy stuff happened, and I ended up managing Melanie Amaro. And so right after the X Factor, and she was with, after she, stuff happened with Epic and L.A. Reid, and, you know, they, whatever. Can't really talk too much about that, but it was like I ended up coming into that position, and all throughout that position, we were, do, we were traveling around, we were doing shows, you know, and I'm on stage with the artists, even on the Mindless Behavior Tour, and everybody's like, oh, you're performing next, right? Or, oh, what are you doing? Or, oh, you... You know, I'm like, I'm the executive. Shout out to Giangelo and Faza. We, I ended up going down to Atlanta with those two. They're from Canada as well. Uh, Giangelo Power is my producer. All the beats, all the music you hear is, is him. He's from Ajax as well. And so we went out to Atlanta. And even in that situation, we got into this writing camp with Kevin Shine, who discovered who was R. Kelly's A&R when R. Kelly was, you know, popping. We got into his writing camp. And even there, they were like, you know, you're showing up as this executive. I was representing Faza and D'Angelo. And it's like, we don't know what your position is because it looks like you're supposed to be the artist. And after I stopped man managing Melanie, that's just kind of like, I was like, if all these people believe in me, I have to like fix this or heal this trauma. And like, I have to start believing in me and at least have to try. And that's kind of how I got back. That's how I started with the professional, with the music, putting out a loan and then going to BET. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And even following the success of your single, like, Alone, back in, like, 2015, and, like, after managing all these people, you know, you moved to the city, like, full-time in L.A. back in 2017 to expand and develop your career from there. So tell me more about that transition of, like, moving from, like, Canada 
to LA and what you like what made you decide on like moving to like LA at that point? Well, so um it's kind of interesting cuz I um so I actually was trying in Atlanta for a long time. I ended up hosting a TV show out there. In Atlanta just for whatever reason wasn't working out. When I went to LA to move move there the first time, I didn't move there legally. I actually had some record deal offers. So that's what made me go back. And um while I was there, a lot of the there was a couple record deal offers. And um so they were like courting me around and, you know, a lot of politics in the industry and stuff like that. And um, so I'm not going to say the label name, but I'm going to say that, I mean, people who know me know which label it is and stuff like that. But the biggest deal that I had um, been offered was a $3 million deal. And so $3 million deal for five years. And basically that's what I was in LA for. I was about to sign that deal. I had met a very famous producer, rapper, and um, rappers. I've actually met Kendrick Lamar's best friend, and I got invited down to their studio. And everybody was just like, what's your situation? And I was like, this is what my situation is. And they were like, don't sign that deal. Because it was just literally like, yeah, we're giving you $3 million, but we own everything. We're taking everything. And at the time, I'm like, I had never heard of anybody trying to give me that kind of money. And so there was that deal, and there was a couple other deals. It was like a $1.5 million deal offer as well. And when I went to the studio down in Compton with, with Kendrick's people, it was, uh, they were literally, the that was like kind of the deciding voices that were like, we believe in you. Because they were actually like, yo, we want you to sing on this track. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> so I ended up in this, it was, it was actually really crazy, a crazy experience. I was up for like 24 hours. Ubered all the way from North Hollywood down to Compton and was in the studio. Then went from Compton to the studio in Burbank. And I met the producer that I met. I forget his name, but he did SZA's album. Like one of, he's one of the engineers and producers on SZA's Control album. And they were like, again, here's this rhetoric. And I'm in their studio all day, all morning. And so by the end of it, they, you know, what I took away from it was, hey, you are, because this was said to me, they're like, we really believe in you. I, we think that you have something more and as hard as it's going to be don't sign those deals you know it's not a good deal and that was what made me walk away so when i was in la um funny enough i was on those red carpets because i was being courted and i got started getting invited to places uh yg invited me out to his parties and you know michael b jordan was there all these people so it's like being seen with these people and being at these events and then you know hearing my situation and then some of them had me sing some of them were like tested me like we never make a song up right now like it was like you know <laughs> and so i just became real popular with because of my personality and you know i'm kind of laid back and I'm, I'm just a realist so people really in the industry really take to that and so i didn't take the deal and then they shipped me back to canada because i couldn't stay like i i actually got in trouble with immigration they were like if you don't leave we're gonna ban you for 10 years and so i came back to canada and then yeah <laughs> that was what that first experience was like but yeah. it, I that was the very first time I must say going to LA doing that pre-show for BT getting my song played they paid for everything being around those celebrities that experience made me know that I just never was embraced and loved that way especially in music you know and I never and just touching the land in LA there's like this energy there and I was like 
it's just all music, all acting. It's like the creative juices there are like so powerful. So I just never forgot that. And it drove me to like always, it was always in the back of my mind when I came back, like, yo, maybe that's, I just need to go there. That's where I belong, you know? So. Yeah, no, most yeah. definitely. And, you know, you also mentioned about like, you know, touring with like Mindless Behavior and uh, Melanie Amaro and like another artist as well too. So what was like being on the road, uh, road like with them and like even performing how was that impact, like, you know, like, performing on the road, like, going from different city to different city? Look, I, touring is crazy. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, yeah. that experience, um, you know, I, I always mention the tour, but I don't ever, like, talk about what happened. I, you know what? One of the crazy things that happened was they held our passports in Jamaica. Oh, wow. They would not let us leave in Jamaica because... um. You know, actually, I can talk about this because I didn't sign an NDA about this, but so I can talk about it. But at the same time, it's like, so I went to, so we had a bunch of dates. And then, so the Jamaica show, you know, I'm not going to say exactly what and who, but there was like certain people were booked on to go to that date. And when I showed up to the airport, nobody had tickets. At the time, I had a little bit of money in my pocket because... I had wrote some songs with some people who were signed to publishing deals and I got a little bit of a check. So I had some money and I ended up paying for those tickets to Jamaica. And then when we got to Jamaica, we did the show. Like uh, also like big artists from Jamaica around there, like QQ at the time was on that show. Tifa was on that show. Like all those big Jamaican DJs at the time. And when the show was done, the crowd literally broke down the barricades we got it was pouring it started pouring rain after the show we got locked inside of the dj booth like they cornered us so it was the there was literally like three thousand girls climbing on the banister like the i don't know what you call them but the you know they got those big lights where the lights hang and all that the climbing they rushed the stage they broke the banisters and it was pouring rain. It was thundering. These crazy <laughs> girls. Everybody's rushing. And we are literally in this tight, like, cubicle where the behind the DJ booth, to barricaded by some speakers, and, like, maybe three huge six, seven bodyguards. We couldn't get out. It was, like, the craziest thing. Um, and then it's crazy because I had to, like, Melanie remember this. I had to, like, she had heels on. And we, I finally, I think they like broke through the crowd and we had to like cover ourselves and rush through and people were grabbing at us. And it was, it was mad. And I had to carry Melanie on my back because she couldn't walk through. It was like muddy. People were sinking in the mud. So all that happened. And then the manager at the time of Miles Behavior made off with like $3 million. He made off with like all the money from the show. Nobody got paid. And uh, I had to buy everybody's tickets out. Um, of the place as well and it was actually crazy Um, we were stranded they were holding our passports because this guy had stole the money the promoters didn't get paid the authorities it was it was a nightmare and you know what sometimes tours are they're just crazy to be on you know it's you don't have the right team and you don't have the right setup it's crazy Um, so that's what that experience was like and then we went back to Miami it wasn't all crazy. We had fun. We went out to parties, you know. We got invited places. I remember Pretty Ricky invited us to. They have like 
I forget which one, but owned like a strip club. <laughs> and he's like, come out to the strip club. Yeah, so me, Melanie, and then went out and it was, you know, it was just fun. <laughs> so, so we had some fun, but it was a lot of craziness too. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I know like, you know, especially with groupies and with fans and all that, you know, there's going to be like all around. So have you ever noticed like any like groupies uh, throughout the way, like during those tours and like, have ever noticed like the egos of like certain artists, like when you work with them, you know, like especially with like members of like mindless uh, behavior and all that? You know what? At the time, Mindless Behavior was really young. They were dope. Like, they didn't have egos, but it was like, they were kids. So, like, you know, the adults around them were, like, kind of just shady-ass people. Um, and, yeah, groupies are everywhere. So, <laughs> I mean, at the like, Dustin from B5 is one of my <laughs> closest friends. And Dustin, B5 has such a cult following from when they were signed to Bad Boy back in the day. And um, those girls, too, like, everywhere Dustin went... Like, it was crazy because, like, we were together and, like, people would stock our pages, show up to where we were. Even Melanie, like, we were at the studio, uh, not the studio, we went to the airport one time. People would recognize her and they would, like, run up and grab her, rip, sometimes, one time this girl ripped her shirt. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's kind of like uh, we, because of that, like, even at the hotel. So I remember there were whole, people would find our hotel. We'd show up, people would be in the room. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> these girls are like crazy yeah. and so you know some of them were hot some of them okay it was like yo what are you doing yeah. and so um yeah it was really crazy and so after that like you know we like we can't with certain celebrities it's hard because people target us and even the up-and-coming artists like myself like i get i get targeted all the time and um i'm not even like fully where i'm going yet and we have to walk with security or we can't really tell people where we are or we can't post locations until we're already gone because of those reasons. Yeah, well, most definitely. You know, I want to get in more like into the music right now. So you released your uh, debut EP, Find My Way. Yeah. Tell me more about the creative process and the inspiration like for that. Woo! So creative process was a long one. Um, it took me a long time to release that music. So for I'm going to give you guys a timeline. So I put out Alone in 2015 as my debut single. And then in 2020, I dropped Broken Love with Melanie Amaro. But I wrote Broken Love in 2013. Alone wasn't even a thing when I wrote that song. And so Broken Love, Alone, they were supposed to be on this EP. Like, that's how long I've been sitting on these this music. And um, what's funny is, like, you know, as an artist, I'm not just an artist. A lot of artists have writers. Like, they don't write their own music. But I've always been a writer as well. And so when I wrote Broken Love, you know, especially there were people in the mix. Um, I didn't actually write Broken Love for me. I wrote it for Melanie. Um, that's how that song started. And then, um, you know, people were just like, oh, the big ballad is great, but you have to release this in a movie. Everybody has an opinion. And so people were just negative. Um, and I think looking back, it's because they weren't a part of it. And like, there's a lot of eagles and vultures around just coming to tear you apart because they either want to control things or they want the money from it or whatever. Broken Love almost didn't exist for that reason. And I literally stopped writing music because it was just hard. So like this EP, I I titled it Find My Way because I'd put that song out in 2015 alone, which, you know, was a very personal song because it's about a past relationship and um i wasn't gonna put it out because again i didn't even write it for myself i started the song and i wrote it for trey 
And then I just realized, I'm like, oh, okay, this is my own story. So let me, you know, somebody was like, you need to put that out. I wasn't going to put it out. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the rest of the songs on the Find My Way EP, um, really, I was, everything, I, I, I was homeless. I quit music like 500 times. I wasn't going to do it. After I did Alone, I quit. And then I went to L.A. Um, after, so 2015, I put out Alone, and then I quit. Then the song got entered into this mix show. People voted for it. Got to L.A. in 2017. Dealt with the labels. When I got sent back to Canada, I quit again. I put out a song called Let You Know, which is very clubby, sexual. You know, again, it pays homage to some of the old school artists. And performed a bit, and then I quit. 2020 comes, the pandemic hits. And I wrote Broken Love in 2013. And since 2013, all the way to 2020, people would call my phone and ask me where that song was. And I wasn't working with Melanie at this time. I had walked away from the situation. You know, we were, I got invited. I have a 2015 Grammy invitation in my, in my inbox to this day because we were supposed to debut that song at the Grammys in 2015. And, you know, things just kind of fell apart. Again, people got in the way. And, um, but yet people were still calling. So I had a conversation with my producer and everybody's like that, you know, Chanel Red Irving, who wrote for, uh, Destiny's Child's Got Trey Songs. Like she's a huge songwriter, Grammy nominated, won a whole bunch of, she, she mentored me. And so they called me as well. And they were like, yo, what are you doing with this record? And so my producer was like, yo, you owe it to the world. You have to at least try. So I literally... I was like, okay. So in 2020, after having multiple conversations with some people that I trust and respect so much, including uh, Andrina Mills, one of those people, who now goes by the Black Lotus, and um, I put the song out. I put out uh, uh, Broken Love, and I decided that I'm going to give myself five, maybe ten years to really give it my all in this music thing and see what happens. I, I at least have to try and not quit. And so... I put out Broken Love, and it blew up, and the American Federation of Music petitioned the U.S. government. I got a visa without having to get a lawyer. They approved the visa. This is my second year with the visa, and then I got to come to go to L.A., and that's how that happened. That song launched me into a whole other thing, and then I put out Find My Way because I just kind of had to get that music off my chest. Yeah. It was like a journey of me going through all those ups and downs. I was homeless. The year before that, sleeping in my car. So people, so that's what that music is about. Just telling people that you can really find your way. Yeah. So that's that's what I did. Yeah, almost definitely. You've tackled on like a lot of things, like even with your story on like, you know, touring with, you know, this timeline that you, that you mentioned like earlier and everything else too. And like even your relationship uh, with uh, Melanie. But, you know, I want to get more into the story of how you met her and you worked with her like on that song. Like, I know that you already explained the song like in that sense too, but how did you manage to meet up with her? And like, what was that experience like working with her? And what were like some advices that either like you or her like gave to each other on becoming successful, like in the industry and such? Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, first things first, Melanie and I are like, we're in a great space now. She's such a, I really consider her a, a, a good friend, you know? And, um, we had some ups and downs. Like, we and her went through a lot. Um, and I've never really talked about the story. And I, I don't... I'm not going to get too deep into her side of things. Because a lot of people 
They ask me to this day, like, what happened? And all I'm going to say is that the reason why Melanie Mauro still is, like, you saw this huge, she is literally the Whitney Houston of this generation. There is nobody that comes close to singing at the level with the grit, with the talent that Whitney has. As Like, when I mean close, I mean, like, 99.9%. That would be Melanie Mauro. She is the voice of this generation. She won X Factor, the very first 2011 one, Simon Cowell, all that. She won the $5 million on TV. I met her literally maybe like a few months after that. And I met her on tour. And, you know, unfortunately, her story is, you know, if you look back at that show, she, she got eliminated. And then she, they brought her back and she won the whole thing. And there was just a lot of wrong stuff that happened. Um, to her, and then they blacklisted her because it was one of those situations where we can't make money off of you, no one ever will. And unfortunately, there was a court battle and a gag order, so she can never, you'll never hear her story because being her manager, I was privy to that information, and so I can tell you that the court proceedings of that situation is basically the span of an entire person's life. And I don't, you know, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But as far as our relationship goes, you know, when me and her met, it was like an instant friendship. And it was like, I don't know. We joked all the time. We laughed all the time. And uh, I didn't start out as her manager. I started out as just her friend, um, you know, her confidence. She was going through a lot of stuff. She had a relationship that wasn't good that also, you know. And then when everything was going down with her uh, separating from her label and that whole situation, that's when I came into the picture. Um, She had called me one day and I was literally like, you know what? So it's funny enough because when that happened, I actually got it offered. I was, there was another label deal for, if anybody really was, has been my fan and following me for a while, Alone wasn't actually my first single i had this song called shooting cupid and this other record that i had put out and it wasn't as good but i had put it out and people had seen it and all that stuff and um but it was like i kind of took it all down and um so because of those songs i had a record deal that i ended up walking away from from the uk i got a record deal in the uk they had offered me that and i walked away from that to manage melody to take over her situation and so she was in la at the time and i was trying to work out you know, um, what to do about the situation she was going through in L.A. And I was like, okay, you know, let's go to Atlanta. And so I, we went to Atlanta, and there we found a lot of good success. We started touring again. We went on all these shows. And Melanie is such, she has a great personality. Like, people don't really know her. She doesn't really show, you don't get to see all of who she is online. Like, now she has her online presence, and she's doing shows and her lives and stuff like that. And... But she really has a bubbly personality. She can act. She's funny. She's a giving person. Um, she's also very feisty. If you get her mad, don't get her mad. <laughs> but, like, I mean, that's with any woman, like, you know. Um, but she really is a very kind spirit. One of the things I will say, being her manager was very fulfilling. And it taught me a lot because I had to, basically, I was up against people like L.A. Reid. Like, I had to come in here and, like, fill these shoes and deal with these executives and they dragged me through the dirt. Like, I, I had never experienced such 
things in my life dealing with powerful people like that. And not even directly Ellery because we never had a conversation. I've never spoken to him face-to-face or on the phone or anything like that. It was everybody else around that. And, um, but I'm just, you know, mentioning his name because that's who signed her after the show. <coughs> and, um, but at the same time, you know, I'll tell you that that experience for her broke her confidence. She didn't believe she was a good singer at all. And I don't know if you guys, anybody watching right now, if you type in Melanie Amaro, I will always love you. She, I, so we were in Atlanta and one day I was like, let's do cover songs. Um, and we did the, she did the Jennifer Hudson Dream Girls, and I am telling you. And what's so funny is like, you know, I had a friend that's close to Jennifer Hudson and like there was these situations where I reached out and I was like, yo, can we do a song together? And like nobody really wanted, like it almost seemed like Melanie was this threat to people. And so we always had, like, that battle of, like, she has this huge voice and she can sing these songs. And it almost got, like, to the point where, you know, she sang it better. Because even with Listen, it got to the point where they had, people had called, because Listen belongs to Beyonce. You know, there was, a, there, was a, there was a communication that came and it was, stop singing this song. Because there was something about, you know, people thinking it was Melanie's song other than whose song it actually was. I don't have all the details on that, but that was the communication that we had received. So those were like the struggles of like dealing with such a big voice. And so if you go on YouTube and you look up I Will Always Love You and look up those songs. Um, When we did I Am Telling You, we ended up on World Star. She was on World Star. We were in a house in Miami. You see all of our faces. I was the one recording it. And you can hear it. Like, she just has this massive voice. If you play the real I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston and Melanie side by side, you can, there is almost no difference. That is how incredible she is. And so, yeah, I, I had to deal with self-esteem issues. You know, her self-esteem was broken. People had broken her, her confidence. She didn't think she was a good singer. And so it was a lot of that. Managing people is like, is really difficult because if you want it more than the artist wants it or you're trying to make them believe in themselves and they don't, and I should know because I was one of those people that didn't believe in myself, um, that was like the hardest thing for me to do was try to give somebody confidence when they had none. And that was kind of what I had to deal with when I was managing her. And it was the hardest thing because, you know, we always see greatness in somebody else, but if we don't see it in ourselves, there's nothing nobody can do. And so that was kind of my journey with her. But, you know, other than that, we were really great friends. Again, that situation ended because I had brought some people in to help me manage her because I was, I thought I was in over my head. And the reason I thought that was because I had worked with, I don't know if they're still working with her, but I was talking to some people at Jasmine Sullivan's team had called me and, you know, um, I was getting advice from huge people like Sean Carter, who used to be the ex uh, vice president or president of Def Jam. He was cool. He used to give me some great advice. But there were some other people that worked with Jasmine and they had come in and they had kind of like broken me. And then the people that I had helped, brought in to help me and Melanie tore, kind of caused drama and tore us apart in the end. And so we, we've we come back from that since. But that was kind of our journey together. Yeah, no, most definitely. And you know, like around those times, like that has happened, like the Me Too movement, was like sort of like a big thing too and like the people that you've mentioned r kelly uh trey songs la reed they've had like you know many like allegations you know from like different women and different people around them especially 
R. Kelly and Trey Songz. So, like, even in situations uh, like that, did you ever, like, regret, you know, like, even interacting uh, with these uh, people because of those allegations, like, when you found out in that sense? Um, You know what's so crazy is I didn't... So when I wrote for Trey Songz, I didn't know him. I actually ended up going to Trey Songz's house a couple of times because Melanie knows him. And, um, you know, Melanie, his bodyguard bully at the bodyguard bully at the time and Melanie and like, so there was like all this stuff going on. Like she, like, but (sighs) this is the thing I'm going to say. I'm going to say that, you know, with this, obviously I've run into R. Kelly before a couple of times. I've run into R. Kelly. And so even when I watched the documentary about him that they've put out, what's interesting is like, I have videos in my phone to this day. Um, of the time, some of the times I've been in the same vicinity as him. I've never gotten to meet him personally. The one time that I was going to meet him was way, way back. I was in Lenox Mall. He was sitting there. And what's so funny is like how the documentary explains what he used to do and how he used to go around and finding these girls. Like that's kind of the situation I saw him in. Like he was in the mall, you know, sitting there by himself with the people around him. It was at surreal for me to kind of like look back and I I was gonna I was actually walking up to him and I had a friend that was like no don't do it he's gonna diss you he's gonna you know tell you off and I'm like I don't know fuck it's R. Kelly like I'm about to try because I was really I'm really like I was back then I was so hungry like I would meet celebrities by just being crazy like one time I went to Nicki Minaj's show and I started <laughs> I started a riot at Nicki Minaj's show <laughs> in Atlanta <laughs> because I got really drunk and I ended up like Climbing, I was like, I just got to meet this lady. And I ended up climbing the banister, jumping. I have videos of this too. Jumping on stage. Her bodyguards threw me back in the crowd so many times. And then finally she stopped the show. She's like, yeah, just let them come, let them come. And like I ripped off my shirt. I'm like, sign this, take this picture. She's like, I can only do one thing. She was really nice about it at the time. This is when she was doing Beam Me Up Scotty. And I would just do crazy things like that to meet celebrities. I even try to like run backstage out into her Maybach and I got like tackled to the ground and beat up and thrown out. It was funny. Like, I mean, it's funny now. It wasn't funny. I was drunk, so I wasn't really like bad, but whatever. Um, So like I've met Waka Flocka. I've done a lot of things just because I was just so hungry and I just went for it. And so in that situation with R. Kelly, I didn't. And I always regret it because I was like, who knows? But then looking back, you know, I'm, it's probably for a reason the second time I was around R. Kelly, I was with the cast of Love & Hip Hop. I had went out to Atlanta, the last cast of Love & Hip Hop Atlanta. I was in uh, Atlanta promoting Keisha, promoting Mesmari, he goes by now. Um, at the time, his name was Vital. Ended up meeting Grand Hustle and T.I.'s people, and they had uh, invited him on like a mini tour and performances out in Atlanta. But when the night when we were at, uh, I think it was... I don't know if it's Shoddy Low. I don't know who was. Somebody was having a party. It was like Shoddy Low or one of those rappers at Compound, which is a huge. Everybody knows what Compound is in Atlanta. It's like two hundred dollars to get in these days. Uh, but back then, I was there with Erica Dixon and Carly Red, and um, R. Kelly was there. And again, I'm like, oh, I got a chance to go see this guy. <laughs> but he's like, no men, just the women. And so, like. And it's funny because I still got that video. I started recording. I'm like, there's this tour bus. And he only invited Erica and uh, Carly Red back. He's like, oh, they're like, R. Kelly wants to meet you. And I'm like, I'm with them. They're like, they're like, come on. He's like, they're like, no. <laughs> like, you know. So it was just really surreal for me to like when the Me Too stuff happened. 
you know, all of that stuff was kind of crazy and upsetting because as somebody who looked up to him at one point, I was really kind of, it was just so disappointing. Um, and, you know, the music is still great, but I don't really, I have no respect for him. The thing about Trey Songs is, you know, unfortunately, he's such a talent, obviously, you know, it's Trey Songs, but at the same time, uh, at the same time, it's just, it's, I don't want to, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to speak on things that don't involve me. But at the same time, I, I would just say that, like, you know, I really respect black women because I come from a black woman. I have black sisters. And, you know, given the climate for black people today, I'm going to stand with my people. And I'm just going to say that, you know, if, if, if multiple black women are saying something, I don't want to be like how everybody was with R. Kelly because for years this was a thing. And it went on for so long that it's so disgraceful that nobody spoke up and nobody said anything. And I just hope that, you know, these women involved, especially in Trey's case, you know, hopefully the justice is served and, you know, yeah. people have to answer for the bad things, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No, nah, most definitely, man. Um, you know, I want, want to get more into, like, you for a bit, too, in that sense, too. Um, so how did you manage to get your uh, stage name, uh, Raleigh, by any chance? <laughs> so that's funny. That's a funny question. Uh, it's funny because it was always like, uh, I just did a poll. You know, I did a poll. I used to go by King Alexander. So those of you watching, yes, King Alexander is me and I am King Alexander. That's like people who really know my music or know me as an artist will know King Alexander. Um, that's how I started in Toronto. I used to go by King Alexander. And Alexander is my middle name. Um, and King is a nickname that you know, people call me. Um, it just came from, I guess, my energy and just how I treat people and stuff like that. So when I started to buzz in LA, I had a, I, one of the, one, a very powerful publicist in LA by the name of Jasmine, shout out to Jasmine. She um, literally was like, what we're like Raleigh is lit. Like she was just like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is marketable. Like this is who you are. Don't hide, you know? And I think a lot of my journey has been me hiding still like hiding behind things and not really being me and trying to figure early in the, in my career, I was trying to figure out what kind of artist I wanted to be. I would make music like everybody else. I, I didn't like it. You know, I just did it. Cause you know, that's what artists do. They're like, oh, this is what's hot. This is what people seem to like. So let me just do that. And it goes against our nature as creators. And you don't really win when you're doing that. Like things don't really happen for you when you're not authentic, especially in music. You know, it could happen for you. Yeah, sure. Some people are winning by being fake and making like talking about stuff they don't live. But at the same time, like really authentic artists are the ones who blow up. Drake, Adele, you know, those artists who are just true to who they are and make music based on who they are. Because Drake is, Drake is the number one rapper in the world and Drake doesn't do gangster rap. You like this, and it's like these little nuances that people don't, doesn't click for people because it's like right now the state of hip hop is in trouble because all these rappers are getting murdered and they're dying and that's literally all hip hop music is. And I don't even listen to most hip hop anymore because I don't subject myself to drugs, sex, and let me murder my homie and all that bullshit. Like I just don't do it. Okay. And when you look at, Someone like Drake. Drake's music is love music and he's talking about girls and relationships and whatever. And sure, he's not hard and people make fun of him and say all kinds of stuff. But it's like, he is the number one. He's every favorite rapper's favorite rapper. You know, and that says a lot. So there was just situations like that where 
um, again, Jasmine and those people, when it came down to my name, it's like you, they're like, stop hiding. You know, even Angina, she's like, like, people had to point out that what got me this far was me just being me. And I just didn't think it was enough, you know, or it wasn't relatable. And it is. And so that was what made me go with my real name. When I was in L.A. and they were, we had a meeting about pitching me and me, um, you know, uh, pitching me to, to different, you know, labels and things around there and like events. They were like, we want to, this is who we want to represent. We want to represent Raleigh. And I had um, an aunt as well, Andrea Cassandra, who was a TV producer at Much Music for years. She said the same thing. And so I just stopped hiding. And that's where yeah. I decided to go with my actual government name, which is Raleigh. Oh, true, true. No, most definitely, man. No, it's uh, very interesting in that sense, too. And, you know, when I was like looking at all your social media accounts, you know, you have a very high following on all like platforms, Twitter, Instagram. YouTube, you even have like a fan page too, which is like very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you mentioned that, you know, most of your fan base is like mainly in the UK and it's like mainly like for your music that it's like high with the following. But how do you like, what were like some methods on like you did to interact with your fan base and followers to create like a lot of like engagement and connectivity? So the funny thing about it is I actually have a huge following on Facebook on like my personal page. And I, like, abandon Facebook these days. I don't really, I'm not really, I'm on there, but I'm not. Um, and then when Instagram came out, I really kind of just clung to Instagram. And what was, what's interesting is that I wasn't, my following grew before I started doing music. Before I started, like, being the artist. Uh, I was always around these people. Um, like, you know, I was dealing with Keisha Fresh and then, you know, back when Tory Lanez was doing shows at Wonderland, people don't know about that. Rima Major. These are some names from Canada that have, like, long since... Rima Major is... I don't know what happened to her, but, you know, she was moving around the time. Tory Lanez, um, when he was singing, singing, he wasn't really... He, before he had what he has, his sound now, I was at those shows. I have, I was around these guys, and, you know, I used to... P. Rain, who is Drake, one of Drake's closest friends, yeah. you know... P. Rain was huge in Canada. Like, yeah. He's all over much music, you know, and Gucci and those guys. I used to run around with reps up. You know, I did a, there was a party that I used to throw with a business partner. It was called, um, crap, I don't remember the name right now, but it was, uh, we, at one point we did a couple parties. We invited Jay Holiday came, we booked him and those guys were all there. And so um, I kind of always was around that stuff. You know, I've run into Drake a couple times, too. I have friends who are NBA ballers. Anytime there's a Miami Heat game, I'm there. Like, I have access to any Miami Heat game, <laughs> you know. And I was always a fan of, like, Bosch. And yeah. I've met Bosch. I've met Dwayne Wade. I've met um, a bunch of people. Tristan Thompson. Before he was Tristan Thompson. Like, I had yeah. photos. We were at down by the lake shore. They used to have these celebrity yeah. games when Tristan, before Tristan made it really big. In the NBA now, he's doing everything else but playing ball. But uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, um, I was always around those guys. I was kind of like unknown because it was always about them. And that's kind of what grew my following. And then I just, I used to post. I used to, I was a socialite before anything. And I, so I always had this following. And so when I started doing music, I just kind of built on top of that. Um, especially when I managed Melanie, my following grew again. And then I used to do YouTube videos. I used to do covers. My follower. I do have hidden videos on YouTube that have 140,000 views. But I'm like ashamed of them. I don't want everybody to ever see them. So I've hidden them. They're private. You'll never see them again. Um, but I, I did. So from those things, I got this following. 
Um, I used to be heavy on Twitter. I stopped using Twitter years ago. And so I think with social media, that was really what it is. I have pictures with Pretty Ricky. Like, I would just be in these places at times when it wasn't yeah. so easy to access those artists. Yeah. When, like, celebrities were still kind of mysterious. And now, like, their lives are on display and it's crazy. It's a crazy time to be a celebrity. But um, that's that's what it was. And so when I became an artist... It was easy kind of converting people yeah. um, over, especially when they really realize that I made good music and I sound good, you know? Uh, so, yeah, and I and I engage. I think that's what it is. People DM me all the time, and I do answer DMs. I get DMs from guys. I get DMs from girls. I get guys hitting on me, girls hitting on me. It's a lot. And, you know, it's so funny. Sometimes I'll just be like, thanks. You know, like I just engage with people, and I've learned that that's what, uh, that's all people want. People who support you, and it's always strangers. Like the people I've known, some of the people, even to this day, some there's some people I know. I've grown so much that it it intimidates them or scares them or like they just don't want to let go of this whoever I used to be. But it's always the strangers, you know that, and I'm like, let me embrace them because they're embracing me. Yeah. And so when people hit me up from across the world, like Australia, or they hit me up from Brazil, like I can. I have, like, five different inboxes I'll show you guys after. And it's, like, I literally, some sometimes I'll be like, oh, thanks. Or I'll, um, I have one guy who's, like, a Rihanna. Like, Rihanna knows him. Like, he's, him and Rihanna are, like, friends, okay? But he's a f- super fan. He's not, I, I, and he's a friend, I guess, of hers. I don't know. But he hits me up, and, you know, we connected on Aaliyah. Because I had made a post about Aaliyah one time, and, like, people messaged me, and, like, I would just message them back. And that was, I learned that I'm like, oh, okay, just a little bit of engagement. You can't engage with them too much because they're crazy. You start talking to them, next thing you know, they're asking you for money. Their mom's sick. You know, they, <laughs> it's like, you just got to like be like surface level with them. And like, um, so, so that's what it was. And I just, I just kept doing that. And that's what's building me. Yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, we just only have a couple questions uh, left uh, right now. But like this one question that I have is mainly about like Hollywood because like, you know, you've been around, like, these red carpet events and, like, these parties and all that. I don't know if you know more about, like, these, like, Hollywood, like, house parties that tend to happen and, like, all these, like, interesting stories, like, that tend to happen from them. <laughs> yeah. What's the, so, what's the question? Sorry. <laughs> like, uh, so, I don't know if you've ever, like, been to, like, the Hollywood house parties that they've talked about, like, in the media and all that and, like, from the industry heads. Like, yeah, I've been. I've been to some. <laughs> been to some. I, I have been to a couple, you know. Um, so what do you want to know? <laughs> uh, so what was like that whole like experience? Like, was it actually like similar to how other artists in the industry have uh, been through? Like, you know, just like noticing like, you know, different lightings and, you know, people bringing like certain stuff, you know, that they shouldn't like do and all that. Oh, gosh. Um, God. Um, I've had very interesting experiences in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> um, I'll say this. Like, I don't go to Hollywood parties much anymore because um, it's a lot. It's a lot, y'all. Um, it's a lot. It's. I've had some fun. I've had some fun. There are things... That can't. I, I've signed some NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, and so I'm not. You know, a lot of those situations have 
if it's in order to be around some very super famous people, you cannot be around them without signing contracts. You cannot be you cannot have your phone you cannot have your phone. And um yeah, it's been fun. I've had some fun. <laughs> had some fun. I've also not had such great experiences. Um, and I've talked about this recently with close people to me. Um, I've had to get some advice from some producers and some other industry people because um, those parties can be a lot. And so, you know, even my time moving back to L.A. last year, or this year, actually, um, I went to a party around my birthday, and I was introduced to some people, and... I didn't speak to a lot of people because I didn't know anybody. And so by the time I, like the next day, my name was in the streets, (laughs) y'all. Like, it was like, and everything that was said, it didn't even happen. And it was so crazy to me. So I I was kind of like, you know, and what's interesting is Hollywood is so small. Everybody is very superficial there. I have not been able to really make real genuine friendships yet. Um, outside of maybe a handful of people. Um, and those parties, you know, I'll say that, like, there's, there's good one, like, a good one I went to, I went to, I got invited to Nelly's party one time, Nelly the Rapper. And so, that was a good experience that night. A lot of celebrities were there, and some of them, I was shocked to kind of witness what I witnessed. Um, it, it definitely was like an eye-opener because before you're ever, ever in those situations or you enter into this world, like you have an idea of what you think celebrities are like and you have an idea of what you think goes on and then when you actually see them or you actually interact with them, it's very interesting and disappointing, some of it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, and then I just recently went to another party during Halloween. So I, I, after that situation in April, I kind of didn't go anymore. Like, so I would do the events and I just wouldn't go to the after parties. Um, and then I went out at Halloween and again, the same craziness happened. This time it was like worse. This time it was worse. And I'm not really going to talk about it, but this time it was worse. I left there feeling it was just horrible. And I, Never want to, like, be in those situations again. Um, And it's just really hard navigating, like, what to do. Because at some point, too, I don't want to diss people in Hollywood. Because Hollywood has a lot of politics. And if you piss off the wrong person, you know, it's it can just be a lot. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just kind of was like, okay, I left that experience again. And I was like, I'm never going to be... Unless it's like a industry thing, I try to only go out when my manager's there with my manager. Um, but you know, those parties are wild. There's definitely drugs and liquor and all kinds yeah. of crazy things that goes on, and um, a lot of stuff is true. Some of it is not true, and everything else is indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, almost definitely, you know, like it's definitely a handful in that in that sense, you know. Um, so what's uh, next for you in terms of any of the music or creative projects or any or anything else uh, going forward? And uh, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to say? Yeah. So what's next for me is <coughs> I'm actually very excited because so 
I will say that when I put out Find My Way, we had like this whole marketing thing planned and I never did it. And so every piece of success that Find My Way is having right now is completely organic. Broken Love is like still the forerunner. Actually, I think like Bay is like doing well now too. And like my whole EP has is almost at 200,000 streams and I only put it out in April. The, the year is not done. That's the fastest I've been streamed since putting out music. And like all those songs individually are doing well. Um, Broken Love is like now people, it's like growing still tremendously even over the other songs, which is great. So I recently had a meeting with my team and I am going to be working with, I, I can say that the Black Lotus and I are cooking up some stuff. I did sign a sync deal with a huge sync company. So I'm working on some, an EP that is not for the public, unfortunately. But I'm working on an EP for sync right now of uh, six songs. And you will guys will get to see and hear those songs when the movies and the shows, TV shows that they're going to be placed in come out. So there's that. And then I have... Um, my next project, my next EP is going to be released next year. And I am working with Grammy-nominated producers and songwriters. And it's they're from Canada. And I am stupid excited because this is going to be bananas. And, like, my wildest dreams are coming true. I'm not really talking about it just yet because I just don't want people in my business. <laughs> like, I don't want to spoil it. I just believe in energy. And I believe there's a lot of people out there that don't want good for you. And I just don't want to, until it comes, that's when you guys are going to see it. But I can say that the next, I'm going to be dropping a single before the next EP. There are a lot of visuals on the way. And um, there's a single and then there's going to be the EP. So you guys are going to get a lot of music next year. There's a tour. There's negotiations for the UK. Anybody from the UK watching this, I am coming. <laughs> and I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, my closing remarks are just like, thank you guys so much. Keep following. Keep, you know, hit me up. If I don't respond right, right away, you know, don't give up. <laughs> I may <laughs> never respond, but don't give up. Uh, and if I do respond, you know, just be respectful because I like to interact with people. You know, I like to ask fans what they like about the music. And a lot of the times I will listen to the fans. So this next EP you guys are getting is very upbeat, very club. There's going to be club songs. There's going to be dance songs. There's going to be fun songs. Uh, Find My Way was a little bit more emotional because that's just where I was and I needed to kind of get that out and tell my story in, a, in, a, in, a, in an emotional way. Um, so the music coming out now is going to be super, super fire. And I think that everybody's going to be really happy and proud of it. I know I will be. And I've already started working on some of those. So, yeah, just keep 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 locked in with me. I love Toronto. I'm really glad that you guys are here. I'm glad that you guys are doing what you guys are doing. And I would just say, like, I my goal and my mission and what I hope to see is that there's more Canadian artists put on because, you know, there's no reason we can't have an industry here. I am a jury member with Factor and, like, all that stuff. I'm very, like, I've been invested in the whatever industry we do have here. And I'm just going to say that, you know, what I've learned in America is that artists in America and executives in America and music outlets and music entities that are there, they absolutely hate each other. They don't with each other. But when it comes to getting the bag and it comes to exposing talent and when it comes to working together, they do that well. I've learned that you don't have to like people to work with them. 
You know, you just have to have enough respect to deal with them, especially if somebody has a platform and like you guys, you guys have a great platform. You have a great thing starting here. Consistency is key. I wouldn't say that I'm the greatest singer in the world. I know I have a talent. I have a good tone and I can sing well, but consistency is what works. And so don't give up whether you're a media outlet, whether you're an artist. And I feel like the Toronto artists, like there's a lot of talent here. And one thing about me, I'm not ashamed of my talent and I'm not, I'm not threatened. Like I'm nowadays in music, you need more than just your ability to rap or your ability to sing. People don't want just the music anymore. They want the personality. They want the style. They want the music. They want the lifestyle. And so you got to work on your skills. You got to work on those things. And I want the Toronto artists to know that working together is the only way in a positive way, especially the Toronto rappers, because there's a lot of nonsense going on and people don't want to work with you if you have drama, if you have gun violence, if you have all these things and you can't work with your friends. I'm sorry to tell you all this. Unless your friends are super duper professional and prove and show that they're capable of managing and doing things or being on your team, don't work with your friends. Work with other artists that inspire you if you're talented, there is enough room for everybody. I know this is long, but I have to say this. There is enough room for everybody in the music industry to thrive in Canada. We are a force. The top artists in the world are all Canadian. And there is very few of us. And every time one of us gets that cosign and we work long enough, we go straight to the top above Every other world-class talent there is. I've learned that. So that tells me that we have to change the system in Canada. And I think that it's going to start with the artists. It's going to start with the artist managers. It's going to start with the agents to stop being greedy. Stop having egos. Stop whatever. If somebody is doing shady business, just move on. If a producer is doing, being shady, find a different producer. Because there's a lot of people out there that do things. Don't be afraid to ask, engage, because, bro, like, that's what I did. Like, I hit up some of, like, Tank DM'd me, bro. <laughs> like, I sent broken love to Tank, and he listened to it. I had the DM, and he loved it. So it's like, just reached out to people, and and that's all I got to say. Like, but that's what my my last regards, my last remarks, my bad. Nah, most definitely. Uh, you know, Raleigh, you know, thank you for coming by, man. I just want you to, like, shout out, like, your social media handles, if you can, for people who might not know you, like, in that sense, you like, on where they can follow you and all that, so. Okay. Yes, so, shout out to this podcast, okay? <laughs> and also, shout out to my, my social media <laughs> handles are Raleigh Music on everything. So, it's R-A-W-L-E-M-U-S-I-C, Raleigh Music. There is another artist named Raleigh. He's a rapper, and that's not me. I'm going to take care of that situation, so there's only going to be one Raleigh very soon. Y'all see what... I'm not going to say it on live, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be handled, and I'm going to be the only one. But um, Raleigh Music on everything. I have a website, www.raleighmusic.com. Everything... Oh, there's merch coming out. There's a lot of new things coming out, so just be patient with me. I'm going to kind of go silent for a bit, but we're going to come back with a bang. And uh, those are my social medias, Raleigh Music. Right, most definitely, man. Uh, you know, Raleigh, uh, thank you for coming by and all that. Thank you, you know, guys. this is episode 21 of the TLY Talks podcast live and direct, which you can access on YouTube at any other time. The edited version will be coming soon. And all the audio format for that will be on all like streaming platforms coming soon. 
Uh, just please uh, make sure to like, comment, and su uh, subscribe like on the live uh, video, and then do so like on the other content. And this is Josh, also known as Yashu, of episode 21 of TLY Talks, signing off.